Well, welcome. So glad that you're here. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. We'd like to give a special welcome to those of you who are joining us at our Ferndale campus. And those of you who are watching online, we're glad that you're here as well. I'm going to ask everybody, regardless of what campus you're at, to grab the green envelope from your program. If you could just actually have that in your hand over the next couple of moments, I'm going to talk just a little bit about it. Every year at Christ the King, we do something called the Christmas Blessing, which is our opportunity to pay forward the blessing that God has placed in our lives and to literally be somebody else's miracle. And so as you're holding on to this green envelope, I'd like to show you a story. It's a story that's being written right now, live and in real time at Christ the King Community Church. I'd like to introduce you to an amazing young lady by the name of Lindsay. She's one of the bravest human beings that I've ever had the opportunity to meet. And as you're holding that envelope in your hand, I want you to know that you've had an opportunity to impact her life very, very deeply. So guys, if you would turn on the video, let's watch it together. This looks like a very simple green envelope, but it's actually somebody else's miracle. 
And last year, this church raised more than $72,000 that over the Christmas season, we just handed out and gave away to people like Lindsay who needed someone to care about them. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to keep these green envelopes in front of you. This is for above and beyond giving. This is for you to have an opportunity to say, God, I recognize how you've blessed me, and now I want to bless somebody else. And if you go to our website, ctkbellingham.com backslash blessing, you can see a, a scrapbook of stories that we've compiled from last year. We're going to be adding another one just about every week. And I just want to encourage you to be thinking about how could you be someone else's blessing this year by paying forward the blessing that God has given you. We're going to leave that opportunity open to you. And, uh, and the, actually, the really, really cool thing is... Uh, is sometime during this weekend at Christ the King, uh, Lindsay's actually going to be back at church for the first time in months and months because she's doing well enough to be able to come back, which I think is just awesome. Awesome. So I'll leave that for your prayerful consideration. We've got some exciting things going on over the next couple of months. I am so excited. Uh, pastor Mike Honholtz, our new worship pastor, is going to be joining our team here in the next couple of weeks. And you'll see him as Christmas begins to roll through, which actually brings me to the topic of Christmas. I love the Christmas season because it's an amazing open door for the people of God to invite people to investigate this thing that they're actually celebrating. Our Christmas theme this year is called Another Way Home. If you read the story of Christmas, almost everybody in it at some point ends up homeless. I mean, just think about that. They end up homeless, displaced, and they have to try and find another way home. And we're going to be talking about that. It's an amazing opportunity for us as a church to to tell people what the real focus of Christmas should be. And so I'm just going to lay this challenge in front of you. Statistics tell us that three out of four people, 75%, of people would come to church if somebody would just invite them. Let's be that person. Let's invite a neighbor in the midst of all of the chaos of Christmas to step aside and, and to come and step into an incredible world of the real meaning of Christmas. I hope you'll think about that and pray through that. As part of our Christmas series this year, we're going to be doing five Christmas Eve series, 335, 638, and 930. You can start praying for me ahead of time already. It's going to be an extensive time, and those are going to be our Christmas services for that particular weekend. And we're going to open up the doors and pray that God brings thousands of people through our doors that we can tell about the amazing story that Jesus actually came here looking for us, which is an amazing thing. So we're going to turn a bit of a corner, and uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I should probably introduce myself so you understand at least a little bit of the context. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I just got back from Africa. I'm going to try and wrap myself around an experience that pretty much turned me inside out and upside down. And I'm going to try and do it in a way that doesn't turn that doesn't turn my experience into an experience of guilt and shame and manipulation on your part. Because I've sat on the other end of those kinds of messages before where somebody goes, God gives them an opportunity to go to the other side of the world and they come back and they just lay into every single person saying, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And how can we not? And, and there's going to be a little taste of that, at least portionally, but hopefully it's going to work way down here and, and penetrate deeper than here. I can't sum up what I experienced in Africa in, in 27 minutes. It's not humanly possible. But I'm going to try and share with you how God orchestrated one single solitary conversation on the other side of the world that made me stop 
and think in a way that I've never stopped and thought before. And I'm going to pray for help because, because my brain and my clock and my body are all out of whack. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning somewhere in the world. And that's kind of how I feel. So everything's a little bit foggy, but I'm going to do my best to try and illustrate for you what it is that I saw. I fly into Nairobi, Kenya with Compassion International, and in a matter of days, I get to see the face of the AIDS epidemic up close and personal. I get to see urban poverty. I get to see rural poverty. I got to see the largest garbage dump in the world, and I met some of the children who call that garbage dump home. I saw people eating alongside of pigs in that garbage dump. I saw rain, which was a blessing, flood a a slum outside of Nairobi and turn it into a moving mud pile that was filled with every kind of disease imaginable. I saw the face of hunger up close and personal. And alongside of it, I saw the face of hope. I saw darkness and I saw light. I saw just this incredible interchange of of the best of humanity and the worst of humanity all wrapped up together and standing in the middle of it was Jesus. And, 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 And the reason Jesus was there is because I invited him to go there with me. I said, Jesus, this is what I want. I want you to break my heart to the needs of people. I want you to take me deeper. I want you to wreck me and ruin me. I was, I went there expecting the absolute worst. And I was surprised by something. I was surprised by hope. I was surprised by faith. I was surprised by love. And it all started in a conversation in the middle of the Maasai tribe on the other side of the world last Thursday afternoon. We'd shown up in the afternoon to one of the compassion feeding projects and and, and we, we saw children come running, I mean, in a mob. And they met us there with songs and, 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 and dancing. They were so excited. I was asked by one of the children whether or not I was an angel. The reason they asked me if I was an angel was because, number one, I was pasty white. And, stand, you know, and that kind of stands out over there. But I was asked for another reason. It was raining in the Rift Valley in Kenya for the first time in four years. The drought was being broken. It rained every single day that we were in Africa. And people had been crying out, desperate for that kind of intervention. And I got a front row seat when God answered their prayers and poured out a miracle. The children came to celebrate that fact. They were celebrating what they called in their language, puna, which means rain, which is also translated God's blessing. Are we blessed in Washington or what? You know, seriously. And it was my honor to be able to share it around just a little bit. But they were coming excited. And we came that one afternoon and they were dancing outside because it was raining on the sides of the valley, which means it was going to reach them eventually. And then a group of young Maasai warriors came out and, and they ministered to us and danced and celebrated in their native culture, their native tongue. It was an amazing thing. It was so unbelievably blessed. And I was just kind of overwhelmed. It was like one of those moments when your life is kind of like a movie. Like you figure you're kind of watching it. And it's just surreal because I'm standing in the middle of the Great Rift Valley in Kenya, surrounded by the Maasai tribe. And they're praising and dancing. And there's a giraffe walking by right there. Just something out of National Geographic. 
amazing. And so I needed to kind of collect myself. So I, I kind of disappeared over onto underneath this beautiful shade tree. The trees in Africa are individual in nature. They kind of just stand alone. And there was one in the middle of the compound. So I found a, a corner of a bench kind of off to the side. And, and I was just kind of sitting there trying to wrap my head around where I was and what was going on. And I had that feeling. Have you ever got that feeling that somebody's looking at you? And I kind of looked down at the other end of the bench, and there's a 12-year-old Maasai boy sitting down at the other end of the bench. In fact, I've got a picture of him. Can we see the picture of, of Evans? Yeah, okay, he's the one with the attitude, all right? There he is. So I find myself alone sitting on the end of the bench, and Evans is down on the other end. And I noticed that there was something kind of cool going on because he was down here on this end and he was mimicking my body language. My legs were crossed, his legs were crossed. My, my arms were kind of like this. And he was just kind of staring off into the distance like I was. Like we were sharing some kind of great secret. And he turned and looked at me and smiled and said, as I heard so many times, whenever there were children in Africa around, it was always the same question. How are you? How are you? How are you? I think it's the first thing they must teach them in English class. All over the, how are you? How are you? And so he said, how are you? I said, I'm very fine. It was very good. Then he said, would you like to hear my memory verse? Sure. Why not, right? So he stands up. And with all of his gumption of a 12-year-old boy, he goes, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And he sits down, and I applauded, because it was awesome. His English pronunciation was spot on. He nailed it. And I just kind of disappeared back into my thoughts. I mean, put yourself in my shoes. I have a young Maasai warrior, soon to be, quoting scripture at me in the middle of Kenya in the Great Rift Valley, and there's a giraffe walking by. <laughs> it's crazy. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So I'm kind of stuck over here in my own little world. And he's introduced himself by this time. He says, my name is Evans. It's a pleasure to meet you, Evans. And then he asked me a question. Where have you seen it? It's kind of a random question from a 12-year-old kid. Almost like God was talking. Where have you seen it? Where have I seen what? Where have you seen faith in Africa? My brain just started flying because I had seen so much incredible amounts of faith in Africa. I saw faith in Tom and Beatrice Omolo. They are Christ the King missionaries who minister in the slums of Kibera. A slum in Africa is something that you have a hard time wrapping your mind around. People living in homes made out of scrap metal and animal dung. Why? Well, um, Rivers that they call water, drinkable water, running through that, that you wouldn't even dare touch with your skin, much less drink. And Thomas and Beatrice have gone into the Kibera slum and they've created our Savior King's Academy. We actually have a school. I don't know if you know that or not. 
But we have a school, and it's filled with these beautiful, amazing young children who are learning English and getting health care and getting food. And Tom and Beatrice are, are the mother and papa bear of that entire group. I had an opportunity to meet them and to hear their dreams about, about what Christ the King could do next in one of the most dark and depressing places. But in the middle of it is this incredible little thing called faith. That's calling people out. I, I saw faith in, in Pastor Austin from CTK Nairobi. How many of you, Fernail Bellingham, how many of you didn't even know there was a Christ the King Nairobi? You didn't even know. Yeah, we have a church, a Christ the King in Nairobi, Kenya. And Pastor Austin was there sharing th- this incredible story of how now there's not one church in Kenya. There's actually a church in five of the eight provinces in Kenya, and we're soon to be in Tanzania and Uganda because this movement called Christ the King is just growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's incredible. And his eyes are this big. He's like, do you understand what God is doing in these countries? I'm like, wow. I didn't. I had no idea. And he talked about their dream of, of a daycare and a school and a hospital, and how God was going to claim the land around them that they had been praying over and just asking God to give them. I saw faith in a young pastor who dares to dream that his country can be touched in the name of Jesus. I saw it in a lady by the name of Mama Helen. Mama Helen, at the ripe old age of 84, started a church with six other people in the Dandora slum of Kenya, Nairobi, or Nairobi Kenya. Dandora is a dark place. It's where the largest garbage dump in the world is. And Mama Helen was told by God that if she would be faithful in that area, that he would turn the desert of Dandora into a fresh garden that would be alive with life for the people of Dandora. And if, yeah, I wish every single one of you could meet Mama Helen because she would light you up. She stood and preached to us about God's faithfulness and his passion. And she would say, come on, you people, what do you need to know? God is good. God is good. That's all you need. I mean, and she was just getting warmed up. It's like a 20-minute introduction. You know, she's just getting fired up. And she was telling telling us the story of how God started this little tiny vision inside of her with six people. Today at Dandora Baptist Church, there's a career training center. There's a school that has more than 500 students in it. There's an AIDS clinic. There's an AIDS hospital. There's a care home. There's a church. There's a feeding program. And it all started with this humble little lady who knew how to pray in faith. Amazing woman. I saw faith in a story that Mama Helen told us. Back in 2008, civil unrest broke out in Kenya. We think we would be completely immune to that here in North America. I wonder whether that would be true if we turned off all of your water and turned off all of your lights for a really long time. I wonder whether or not we would be as calm and as cool as we'd like to pretend and think that we were. But in that area, this area of unrest broke out and they started burning Dandora to the ground. Robing mobs just walked around and started lighting things on fire. And if you saw Dandora, you'd understand. If somebody lit it, it would go up in a hurry. A group of people in the community heard that one of the mobs was heading towards the church. The church staff had been evacuated from the area. The community ran out and protected the church with their lives. 
they told the people in the mob, this is where the children come for food and for help. You can burn whatever you want to, but you don't get to touch this church. Christ the King, I wonder, have we touched our neighborhood so deeply that if civil unrest broke out in Bellingham, I wonder if they would run and come and try and protect this place? That's a question that I ask myself a lot as I left Andorra. A place that was started by one lady who had an incredible amount of faith that if she simply would do what God told her to do, that amazing things would begin to happen. I was on a roll with this question. I mean, I was running through stuff in my brain, but Evans interrupted me. And every time he asked me a question, he'd slide over and get a little bit closer. So he asked me a second question. Where have you seen hope in Africa? Well, that was an easy one. Where hadn't I seen hope? I saw hope in a lady by the name of Hilda. She's HIV positive. One year ago, the AIDS that was ripping apart her system had her so sick with secondary infections that she thought she would die. She couldn't stand. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't take two steps without help. This little church that was run by Mama Helen heard about Hilda, and they actually went and rescued her from her apartment. They brought her back to the church, and they gave her supplements and health care, and they helped fortify her immune system. Today... Hilda leads the AIDS Outreach and Education Program at Dandora Baptist Church. She's tough as nails. She stands tall. She doesn't have a single infection inside of her body. God is using her to educate people of a, a horrific disease that's killing thousands upon thousands upon thousands and orphaning thousands of children every single day in Kenya. She was an amazing woman because she talked about hope. She said, 10 years ago, there was no hope when it came to AIDS. She goes, today in Dandora, we have hope against AIDS because there's a new treatment that's come to us. During labor, a pregnant mom no longer needs to simply transmit AIDS to their baby. Because of a new medicine that they have, the mother receives one dose of niatropine. The baby, after it's delivered, receives two doses of niatropine, and it is absolutely guaranteed that AIDS will not be transmitted from mother to child. And here's an amazing thing about that medication. Would anybody in Ferndale or Bellingham like to hazard a guess what those three doses cost in U.S. dollars? I thought it must be unbelievably high. 85 cents. Less than a buck. And it can save a child from AIDS. Hilda told me there is hope in Africa. I met a mom who was at one of the compassion projects that we went to. This incredible lady with four children. Her husband was on the other side of the country trying to raise money in order to be able to feed his family. And she was left there alone with these four children. We went and saw her because one of her children had been sponsored with Compassion International, the group that we were with, and she talked about the difference. I met her 12-year-old son and her 15-year-old son. Her 12-year-old son had been sponsored by Compassion. He was twice the physical size of her 15-year-old son because of the way malnutrition had wrecked and ruined his development. But she was so thankful for Compassion because, because of Compassion, each one of her children could eat at least one time a week. 
She started as a, with a gift from compassion with one chicken. They brought her a chicken. And when she took us to her home, she was so unbelievably proud because there were chickens everywhere. Chickens all over the place. And she'd taken the eggs from the chickens and she traded them for goats. She had her own little goat herd and her own garden and a, and a whole flock of chickens. And she was not only feeding her own family, she was also feeding all of the neighborhood kids around. She was learning how to read English. She was reading a t-shirt that said, Literacy Matters. Her life had so changed because someone decided to get involved. I saw hope in sponsorship. Many of you, because of the challenges we've laid out here at Christ the King, have sponsored a child. Can I just tell you firsthand, what you are doing matters. You're saving not only individual children, you're saving entire family systems. I saw it with my own two eyes. I saw the difference between a compassion child and a non-compassion child. It can do unbelievable things when we place our priorities under God's priorities. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I also saw the contrast of hope. I saw children healthy, fed. But every day that we went to a compassion project, I saw something else. If I could get the, the, the next picture there of the little child by the gate. There it is. Every project that we went to, children would come and line up at the gate of the project waiting to find out whether or not they had been sponsored. Those were the kids that broke my heart. Because they just needed somebody here to pay forward a blessing so that they could come inside of the gate and get food and health care and education. Do you know why they came to the gate every day? Because they had hope that one of us would do something about their situation. I kind of got wrapped up in that one, and, and that one was a little bit difficult for me to kind of wrap myself around, even though I saw hope. But Evan's interrupted my brain flow again, and he moved a little closer. Where have you seen love in Africa? And I thought to myself, where, have, where haven't I seen love on this trip? I saw love in the eyes of children who came to the food lines because they actually let us participate in the feeding of hundreds of kids. When you place a plate of food into the hands of a child who's not going to eat, possibly for the rest of the week, there's nothing going back and forth between your eyes, but nothing pure, unadulterated love. How could your heart not be moved as they looked at you and said, Asante sana. Thank you very much. What an honor to be able to, to feed somebody in the name of Jesus. I saw love in the dancing kids. Man, they danced everywhere we went. And I got to dance with them, which is another story all by itself because there is no rhythm in this guy whatsoever. I saw love in these young Maasai warriors who would walk by the side of the road and wave to our buses as they went by, saying, compassion, compassion, because they knew why we were there. I saw love in a tiny little graveyard behind a church where they placed the tiniest little victims of an incredible pandemic that's just ripping Africa right down the middle. I saw love because of how clean it was 
and how much dignity there was in these little tiny crosses that were all just dead on straight, row after row after row after row. I saw love in the homes that I was invited into. Some homes made out of scrap metal that I don't think any of us would dare ever consider a home. I saw love inside of a Maasai home made out of walls made out of cow dung and how incredibly proud they were to welcome me into their home to sit with them and talk with them and pray with them and to send a message back to North America that those sponsorships are actually making a difference in the lives of real, live children. I saw love in the eyes of the pastors from Africa who prayed over me and then asked me to pray over them. Do you have any idea how unqualified you feel to pray over somebody that lives out faith, hope, and love every day to a level that you, have, you can't even relate to? One of the pastors prayed over me and our church that we would be delivered from the curse of affluence and that we would understand how beautiful it is to have to pray for our daily bread and actually receive it from the hand of God. What an amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing. I saw love in the in the prayers of my African brothers and sisters. They, they, they taught me something about prayer because they always start their prayers exactly the same way. God, I want to appreciate you for. And then they just start making a list. God, I want to appreciate you for life and for breath and for health and for hope, for rain and for clean water. And the list would go on and on and on. I heard Mama Helen pray. I mean, I don't think there's anything left under the sun that God could be appreciated for because she covered the whole thing in one shot. How unbelievably beautiful and humbling. How many times did I have to be reminded of how infrequent my thanks and my praise and my gratitude is. We save it for one day a year. They live off of it, morning, noon, and night. And what a blessing to be able to see that. I'm all wrapped up inside of these thoughts. And Evan has moved almost over to my side by now. And he asked me a question that freaked me out. Are you from Canada? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> he said, are you Matt? No, I'm not Matt. You have no idea how much I wanted to be Matt in that moment, right? I said, no, my, my, my name is Grant. He goes, hmm. Do you know Matt from Canada? <laughs> I don't think so. He said, Matt is my sponsor. And if you ever meet Matt from Canada, would you tell him that I'm waiting for his letter? Every home we went to and met a compassion kid, the first thing they brought out was all the letters they'd gotten from their sponsor. They held them like they were gold. And I'm standing there going, I adopted a little boy from Ethiopia, and I have never written him a letter. 
I get all this stuff in the packet that says you're supposed to write them letters, but I've never written them before. And I'm standing there going, I need to start writing letters. If you sponsor a child, can I tell you something? The most beautiful thing you can do is to write them a letter. They will be translated on that end, and they will hold them like they're gold. I watched a little girl read with perfect English a letter that had been translated from some family in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. She was so touched that they would care about her enough to actually write her a letter. I've already read, written my little guy a letter. I wrote it on the way home. What an amazing and beautiful opportunity to be able to bless someone that way. So by this time, my brain is completely upside down because he knows now I'm not Matt from Canada. I'm Grant from Canada via the United States of America. As I was sitting there, he said, Grant from Canada? You are not Matt. But for today, you're my sponsor. And I love you. He just killed me. And then he did something that I will never forget. If you ever meet a group of Maasai children, they all come out and they do this. Anybody in the room ever experienced that? Some of you have, haven't you? Yeah. Some in Ferndale too. They put their head down because they want you to place your hand on top of their head and bless them. Evans took my hand, put it on the top of his head laid down in my lap and said, I love you, Matt. It's good enough for me. I wish I could sum it all up for you. I wish I could reflect from my heart what I saw and what I experienced. What I know is this, if you've sponsored a child, you're a hero to some kid on the other side of the world. And if you haven't, in the days to come, we're going to give you an opportunity to. And then I'm going to use guilt, manipulation, and everything else I can to get you to cross the line. Because I saw the difference it makes firsthand. I'd like to ask you as a church the same questions that Evans asked me. Where have you seen faith, Christ the King? Where have you seen it? I hope you've seen it in your own life. If not, what amazing opportunity to start this coming week. Where have you seen hope? Where have you been hope for another human being this past week? If you can't think of anything, start looking this coming week. Where have you seen love? Be the love that you'd like to see. It will change somebody's destiny. I really believe that. Where have you seen faith? Where have you seen hope? Where have you seen love? I spent a week on the other side of the world getting a front row seat. And I've taken it as my personal mission to inspire our church to remember that only three things remain. 
faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I'm going to tear a page out of my African brothers and sisters world. This coming week is Thanksgiving. And so I'd like to invite you to do something here at the Bellingham campus and at the Ferndale campus. I'd like to invite you to get a front row seat for my Thanksgiving prayer. Because my prayer is very different this week than it was last week. So I'm going to ask you to stand in the presence of Almighty God and to join me as we appreciate God together today at Christ the King. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I want to appreciate you for life and breath and the ability to be able to speak your name. I thank you for eyes that see, ears that hear, and feet and hands that work. I thank you for the gift of this day, for the snow and the ice and the wind. May I use this day completely for your glory. I thank you for my home, for warm beds and luxury that's unfathomable to so many. I am blessed and I appreciate you and acknowledge you for your ownership of it all. I appreciate you for healthy children who are blessed in all things. I thank you for their faith, their hope, and their love. I appreciate you, God, for a loving wife who walks with me and protects me and encourages me and believes in me. I thank you for a home to come home to and a new appreciation for all of it as it's yours. I appreciate you for Christ the King Community Church. I thank you for the pastors and the staff who work so diligently to accomplish your purpose. I thank you for the leadership who gave me the opportunity to go to Africa and be forever changed. I thank you for a warm, dry building where we worship in comfort and luxury. I appreciate you for technology that allows us to hear and see in a greater way. Jesus, I ask that you would mold us into a church that would be defended by our own community because of the difference we're making in the name of Jesus. God, I appreciate you for my brothers and my sisters. They are my spiritual family, and I thank you for the love that you've placed in my heart for each of them and their love for me. I appreciate you, God, for worship and teacher and teaching and prayer and giving. May we see them all as a gift from God. I appreciate you for my friends, those who look beyond titles and are there for me, and I acknowledge them as a gift from God. I appreciate you, God, for my Bible, which tells me the truth and gives me faith, hope, and love. I thank you for God the Father who adopts orphans into his family. I thank you for God, the Holy Spirit, who convicts and heals. I thank you for Jesus, who binds up the brokenhearted and saves. God, I appreciate you for a little boy named Evans who touched my heart. Would you give him his daily bread today? 
And I appreciate you for Thomas and Beatrice, Austin and Jerusa, Hilda and Helen, Sophie and Solomon, and all of the children that I met. I thank you for their prayers. I thank you for their example. I thank you for food each day and for being God. I appreciate you for your faith in us, the hope that you give, and the love that you pour out. I thank you, and it is in the name of Jesus that I pray with thanksgiving and gratitude. And all of God's people said, Amen.